tonight we continue to look in the book of Luke. We're in chapter 8. I think last week uh, was also chapter 8. And I think the week before that was chapter 8. Chapter 8 of Luke, we're in verse 40, and we're going through 56. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about twelve years old of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitude crowded him. Now a woman, having a flow of blood for twelve years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitude crowd impressed you. And you say, Who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and fell down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him, and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Do not be afraid. Only believe, and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the mother and the father, the father and the mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her. But he said, Do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all aside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, Little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately. And he commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. You know, um, in the past I have read that before and I really have enjoyed this little section right here. And what I really kind of had enjoyed is really looking at the disciples and how the disciples were struggling even you know, as they were with Christ, they were struggling because, you know, you get to this point right here and um, Jesus says, someone touch me. Well, they then somewhat, you know, go, Master, and this is from the, uh, the New American Standard Version, said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. It's almost like they, they go, do you not see the multitude that is around us? Another version says this, 
Master, the multitude pressed thee. They crushed thee. There has to be people touching you because of the huge crowd and everybody's around us. You know, I really kind of loved how they just didn't get it. But as I have studied this more over the last week or so, I, I've really fallen in love on something totally different than that. And um, I'd like to share with you just a, something that really I've stolen from I'm Spurgeon in morning and evening. I don't know if anyone has one. This is just a little daily reading. And uh, in here he has Luke um, 47 in here, or a little section of it. And really the topic is uh, she was healed immediately. And in here, this is what he says. The first line says this, referring read to this miracle that takes place with her. One of the most touching and teaching of the Savior's miracles is before us tonight. You know, this is this these two miracles that take place in 17 verses are very unique. And before I thought they were really unique because I, you know, it's kind of like the disciples kind of were clueless in it. But I'm telling you, as I spent time studying, it's just amazing to see how these two miracles are kind of woven together, how they kind of connect with each other. Now, I would like to spend just a few minutes reviewing just a little bit because um, maybe some of you are like me and have poor memories or maybe some of you have been on vacation a lot this summer and do not realize that we have been kind of looking throughout the summer at some of the miracles that take place in the book of Luke. Miracles that involve really the sick, the diseased, the lame, those who are possessed, those who are dead. You know, you have emotions that have taken place throughout these uh, miracles of hopelessness, fear, loneliness, grief. You know, I say all those things, and I don't know about you, but it's pretty easy to relate to some of these miracles, some of the emotions of it, some of the conduct that takes place within them. Today we have two stories that we've looked at, two miracles um, that are somewhat very different people, very different things take place. But you have one with this this ruler, and you have one with someone who we know very little about. Before we start, though, I, I do want to make sure, and this I don't know if this is very wise to even do, but I'm going to do it anyway because I think it's necessary. Because what happens, you read stories like this, and see these stories, both of them have very good endings. In one, you see someone who's dead, is brought back to life. You see another who is sick and is has a situation that looks hopeless. And that she is healed. And so often you can be in a group like this and you, there's people sitting out there and they're going, I, I had that situation. Mine wasn't healed. I had that same situation. I've been in that situation before and uh, my child didn't fare that well. You can look at stuff like you can get so wrapped up in that, you miss the message. So I'm going to share with you on the front end the message. Because I don't want you to get so wrapped up and see the, the two settings that you miss the message that is here. If you're missing the message of God's love, of His mercy, of His grace tonight, then you've missed it. If you get so wrapped up that you, you get lost in this thing about, well... If God only did that for me. You're missing it. 
You need to be able to stay with me. And, and I'm not going to try to go too long here. But you need to stay with me and see what God is doing here. You know, I'm not trying to get up here and say, you know, God doesn't do miracles anymore. I'm not trying to say that at all because He still does. I've seen miracles that God has done. But I am trying to get you to understand the center of this all. It centers around Christ. The two stories tonight center around Christ. Do not get yourself so caught up in the people that He uses just make the focus point on Him. I do want to spend time looking at the two people. We want to look first at the man, the ruler of the synagogue. Uh, some of y'all may know who, what that makes him. But if you look at him, he's, he's kind of one of the head people. He would be head of the congregation. He would be in charge of the flow of the religious service that they're having. He would be in charge of making sure the reading of Scripture was taken care of, for the teaching of the commandments that was all taken care of. If they have some need of, of service, uh, he might serve as a judge in a, in a type of um, dispute that might be going on. You know, he might be very connected with trying to help the, his congregants along. He was a person a high social and religious standards. People looked up to him. So if we had to put him on a scale, you know, religiously, people would look at him and go, hey, we really like him. I'm telling you, we're looking at a spectrum tonight. He's at one end of the spectrum, and the woman is at the other end. The other end is where you would find the lady, because she is not of a real social group. Um, you read here about the woman, and you find out she's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. If I could use three words to explain who she is, explain her. She is um, unclean, she is isolated, and uncurable. If you remember what the text is saying, the text told us that she has spent her livelihood on trying to be cured. She has gone to different doctors trying to be healed. And if you look at that in some of the other Gospels, you will find in the book of Mark, Mark actually says in Mark 5, 26, says this, instead of getting better, she grew worse. By going to all these physicians and all these people, she isn't getting better. She is getting worse. So she is somebody who you look at, She's uncurable. She's not going to do well, you know. And you know she's really unclean. She's unclean because she is bleeding all the time. Bill Seeley today, I was talking to her the night we were eating dinner. And he goes, you teaching tonight? I go, yeah. He goes, well, you ready? I go, well, I haven't started working on it. He goes, well, just go to Leviticus. And because, you know, that would put them all asleep. Well, I'm going to Leviticus. Because I think it's necessary for you to see what takes place in Leviticus. Because in Leviticus 15, it talks about those who are unclean. Leviticus 15, and down in verse 25 through 27, it talks about a woman. It says this, when a woman has a discharge of blood. Now, I'm not going into great detail on this, but he continues to talk about this, this bleeding that takes place. If someone is bleeding, and I'm going to kind of summarize this just to keep it G kind of rated here. It says, if this discharge continues to take place over a long period of time, you know, she is unclean. It goes on to say, 
in verse 26, the best she lies on, it is unclean. Verse 27, whoever touches her is unclean. That does tell that person can become cleansed by, um, by bathing. And then they can become clean again uh, after evening. It goes on and talks about how um, if the bleeding does stop, that she can't have a ceremonial cleansing. But it would involve, the priest would be involved then, and there would be a sacrifice, a sin offering, a burnt offering would have to take place. Because look what it says. He is to make atonement for her. You know, He is going to make this atonement and cleanse her from this whole thing. Do you see the point that you have here? You have a woman, you have this man over here on this end of the spectrum who is very spiritual in a way, has great knowledge and understanding. People look up to him and hold him. And over here you have someone who has this disease that is incurable. She is unclean. She's way over here. You know what that makes her too? No one wants to be around her because they become unclean. She will be a person who you will, will be very lonely, very isolated, away from everybody. You see a spectrum right here of two individuals, very different. And we, we start off tonight, they say Christ sees this person, this person comes to Christ, you know, this, this guy has knees, and he comes across this person, and this person has knees. They both are very much alike, but yet they're very much different. You see the one who is a, a synagogue, he's a ruler. The other one here is excluded from any type of worship. You have one over here who's prosperous at all times, another one impoverished. You have over here the religious one, social one, loved by people, over here religiously, socially, and outcast. This is a neat point here. Over here, he has his daughter who is 12, who is ill. It's his daughter who is 12, who is ill. She, for 12 years, herself, has had this bleeding take place. Very much, they are very much um, on the opposite end of the spectrum. But here's what really has kind of caught me in this whole thing. The thing that really has touched me the most in the whole thing as we look at this. They're at this end, in here, guess what? They are very different, but they are very, very much alike. Both of them are hopeless. They both have come. They are desperate. They are in need. They have come to a point where, where all is lost. You can see it easily in the woman. It may not be quite as easy to see in the man. But you do see that he falls on his knees. He, he's showing respect to Christ. He humbles himself and bows before him. You do know that um, his peers probably weren't very excited about that. His peers probably didn't like the fact that he is going to bow down before Christ. If you read in Matthew 26, you will see that later on, his peers are the ones, early in, it's in verse about 2 or 3, Matthew 26, they sell inside, they're going to plot a way to kill Christ. It is those people, his, his peers, his friends, who make that type of decision. 
Here he is willing to bow down before Christ, willing to submit to him. Why? Because he got to a point of hopelessness. James Boyce says this, No doubt it was an utter desperation. His daughter was dying or was already dead. He had nowhere else to turn. Here's a man who religious, it looks great, everything looking great, but still he is hopeless. And it's obvious to see the lady over here, how she is so hopeless. But guess what? There's something else they both have. They both have a measure of faith. They both have faith. You see Jairus here, he's, he has faith. He has faith. He's willing to, to take a risk, to reach out. He says in, in the verse there, Christ, he requests for, the request from Christ is that he come to his house. I got a question for you. Did Christ have to go to his house? What do you think? Where are my theologian in the crowd who some are shaking their heads? No. He did not have to go. Think about back in Matthew 5, 5 through, uh, Matthew 8, 5 through 10. The centurion. You remember that story where, where he comes to Christ? He says this, Lord, my servant lies at home. He's paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. Listen to what the centurion says. He replies saying, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the words and my servant may be healed. For I myself is a man under authority. Many soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes. I tell that one come and he comes. I tell my servant do this and he does it. Then Jesus heard this and was astonished and said to those following him I tell you the truth I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. In this situation, in Matthew 6, the, the servant is healed immediately. Could Christ have healed the, the daughter immediately? Yes. But He doesn't. Why? We aren't given that type of information. We aren't given that one. He doesn't ask for that. Uh, Jairus here doesn't ask Him to heal, heal her immediately. He asked Jesus to come. One of the other versions says, for Christ to come and lay hands on her. So, Christ starts the journey. You see a man, a, a man with a little faith, trusting in Christ, and he's about to go on a journey with Christ to his house. And as they start this journey, he experiences another miracle. Now, I have no evidence to back this up. I just, as I studied this, I started going, was it necessary for him to experience this journey that he's about to go on? And I just, I just as I saw it, how they were woven together. Now, here's this man spiritually who is, who is kind of thinks of himself more spiritual. Of the, and here's this woman who has, has nothing, but he's about to see, he's about to experience Christ touching this woman because of her faith. How strong is her faith? How strong is his faith? 
We do not know. We do know that uh, I kind of found it inter- interesting. Spurgeon right here in this same little section and later goes on and says this about her, really referring to her and her faith, says this, Has she known the love of Christ's heart? She would have said, I have but put myself where he can see me. His omniscience will teach him my case, and his love at once will work my cure. Did you see that? He said, I don't really, if this lady understood all that, he doesn't have to touch the garment of Christ. She just has to get in front of him. You've known examples of that too. All that needed to take place was Christ to see her. But we see that's not the case here. Now Spurgeon goes on and says, I, We admire her faith, but we marvel at her ignorance. She didn't have much knowledge, much understanding. She didn't have all the, the great teaching that others had. But she knew one thing. She knew she was in a hopeless situation and the only one that could, could save her is Christ. She was incurable. She was unclean. She was isolated. But she does have faith. And what does she do? I, I can't really imagine. You know, she has to be weak. She ha- You know, she's... She's somewhere in the crowd, but yet she knows she cannot be touched by people. She's kind of like a leper. You know, they had to, but they had to kind of say, say something being around people. She did not, but you know that she was trying to avoid people. You know she is weak. You know she probably should be in bed somewhere taking it easy. You know this is a difficult task for her. But she realized it was the only way. It was the only way for there to be hope for her. It was not easy, but she knew that Christ was the only way. And so there she is. She's um, in her state, and all she wants to do, she doesn't want to touch Him. She just wants to touch the garment. Just if I could just barely touch Him, I know I will be healed. She She had a little faith. Richard Phillips, who um, really is one of the, is this book that a lot of people have been using for their study on um, Wednesday night, says this. What matters is not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith. A weak faith may receive a strong Christ. Imperfect belief lays hold of a perfect Christ. And that has just so encouraged me to see you got look what we got. You've got both you really got both edges of the spectrum. You know what is required? Faith. You know, one of the I don't know if many of y'all know this, but my job description here has changed a little bit. And one of the things I'm really involved in is evangelism. And making people or allowing people to hear about the good news of Christ. As I was reading through this, the thing that touched me the most about this, the story here is it is, is about all of us in this room. It doesn't matter which end of the spectrum you lie. We all are hopeless. We all are unclean at one time in our lives. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have missed the mark. It doesn't matter where you lie within the spectrum. 
we all at one time lied there. We were uncurable. You know, in this story, you see two examples of, of uncurable situation. And really, it gets to the point where here, the one that is death. There is no cure. And the other, this bleeding, which appears that there is no cure. In Christ. Christ and Christ alone brings hope. Christ alone cleanses those who are unclean. In the book of Isaiah, we read in Isaiah in this situation, he, in Isaiah 6, Isaiah you know, saw the Lord sitting upon the throne in heaven, and he cries out in verse 5, and says this, Woe to me, I cry, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. Isaiah, seeing himself as one who is unclean, one who is not worthy. And it's interesting to see here, as he is he is trembling before the Lord in verse 6, that the angel comes down, brings a coal from the altar, brings it, touches his lips, it says, your guilt has been taken away and your sin atoned for. Isaiah sees here that there is atonement that takes place. You know, I stand before you tonight saying that atonement, that our unclean, all of us are like these two examples. You know, death, when death comes and the girl is there dead on the bed, she is unclean. The girl, the lady who is hemorrhaging, blood is flowing from her all the time, is unclean. But yet the father's son Jesus Christ is willing, is, is out of His love for us, willing to take that which is unpure and make it pure. We are isolated, separated from God, just like the lady was. Isaiah talks about it. Isaiah talks in chapter 59, verse 2. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sin has hidden His face from you. Sin has separated all of us from God. Even if we're as relig- thinking we're as religious as can be at some point in our lives, it still will not satisfy God. Or being as unworthy as possible will not satisfy Him. There has to be this atonement taking place. We live in a world that is full of isolated people. You know, you just look at divorce. I sort of think about it. Why is there so many people getting divorced? A lot of it is due to people being isolated. Either they, they are lonely and they seek someone else to meet that need. They feel, you know, unloved. They feel unworthy. There's so much of that isolation and they go, somehow I'm going to make myself feel not isolated. We are isolated, divorced from God. And because of all of this, we are hopeless. There is no cure for that. Unless there is a Savior. Unless what is written here tonight is true. That Christ is able to take someone who is dead 
and bring her back to life. If she, He can take one who is bleeding, which all the physicians around could not heal, if He can heal. And do you see it? As soon as she touched Him, He, he hasn't said anything to her. He doesn't, he doesn't say anything. And she is healed instantly. It is amazing to see how, how Christ understands and, can, and knows the faith that is about to touch Him. all that is true, then there is great hope. I close with us looking at um, Ephesians 2, 4 through 9. And we'll quickly look at this. Most of you know it. This isn't going to be hard to understand. Ephesians 4, 2, 4 through 9. But because of His great love for us, God is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved by faith. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realm in Jesus Christ in order that in the coming ages we might show the riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And here's the verses that most of you know. Verse 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. You see that in these verses here. You see two situations. By no means are these two people by any way coming before Christ and boasting or their works or anything they have done. They have come because they feel hopeless. They have, there is nothing else they can try or do to help them. All of us are either like that or were like that at one time. We either have been saved by God's grace or we still are, are, are playing the game with Him. You know, my challenge to you, where do you stand? You know, I was talk, talking to Tom Jordan and I, and we were talking about EE. You know, I don't know if y'all know much about EE, but Tom is one of the best at it here at Grace of Anne, and he teaches it, loves teaching it. And we started talking about how this, this, these verses kind of go along real well with the E. You know, E, one of the they want you to really come to face with is for you to understand you are either a child of God or you're not. Where do you stand this day? Are you still isolated? Are you still a person who is in, in, in an incurable situation? an isolated, hopeless situation? Or have you been redeemed by the blood of Christ? And life has meaning and purpose. And I know many in this room that has taken place and you can see your day and go, well, that sure was good or it was semi-good. Well, it wasn't even that good. But, you know, I don't want to see how it relates to me. Because I'm a Christian. This is you know, some non-Christian. To you, I say... Do you really understand what grace is all about? Do you really understand that grace applies every day in my life? 
It is by grace I stand up here. It is by His strength that helps me through the day to make decisions that I need to make this day. If we are walking on our own, we are acting like those who are dead. You know, you go, hey, why is it that 50% of Christians divorce and the non-Christians divorce? I'm telling you because people do not understand the grace that they have been saved by is the same grace they need to live by. The same faith we need to walk daily by that. We cannot lay that aside. It has not suddenly gone, well, I'm saved. I don't have to worry about it anymore. 50% of Christians getting divorced. As Christians, we need to read and hear this message just as much as the non-Christian. Maybe not as much because the non-Christian, those who do not know our Savior as the as Lord, one day will stand before the the Father. And life will go in a direction they do not want to go. So I pray if those decisions have not been made by individuals in this room tonight, I pray that people come to that conclusion. The need to put your faith and your trust in Christ in Christ alone. Let me pray first. Father, I stand up here as one who years ago you opened my eyes that I might see. You opened my heart and, and allowed me to, to know that I was lost. I was dead. I needed to to let go of the earthly things and to receive the gift of eternal life. I pray that if there are those in this room who do not know you, have not received the gift of eternal life, that they will not leave here today, will not leave this room without making that decision. And for those in this room who confess you, those who are walking with you, Father, I pray that they, that myself, that we we hold tight to you, that we walk closely by you, that we will not stray, that we will not seek our own ways, but follow you and you alone. So we rejoice over reading about two miracles two healings that took place. And we also rejoice over the healings of hearts in this room. How you have healed us. You have taken dead men and women and made us alive in Christ. And we rejoice over that. And so we lift all this up in Christ's holy name.